Welcome to the future. You're listening to the Consensus Network. Consensus Network. Consensus Network. With Buck Joffrey. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with Consensus Network. And uh, today I want to remind you uh, that if you're enjoying the show uh, and you want to get involved, make sure to go to consensusnetwork.io and um, check out the tutorials. And that'll give you an opportunity to go ahead and maybe even start um, buying a little bit of cryptocurrency. I think it's timing is still pretty good. Um, there's a lot of great news which you'll hear about later on uh, in later on in the week. I just can't see this market um, staying as um, you know it's, it's sideways uh, for long. So anyway, I, I again I recommend you go to consensusnetwork.io and uh, check out some of the resources that we have there uh, for that. Also, um, I just want to. Uh, point out that uh, there's still an opportunity to ask your own questions. Make sure you uh, go to consensusnetwork.io. And uh, I prefer recording commercials, although most people seem sort of shy about that, which you can do on that site. Or uh, you could also just send me an email, uh, info at consensusnetwork.io. Now, uh, as for today's show, uh, we spent the first few um, episodes here uh, hopefully you've been listening uh, to get you acclimated, you know, to the concepts and terms around distributed ledger technology like Bitcoin, blockchain, smart contracts. What the heck are all these things anyway? And um, and so I'm trying to get everybody caught up. And uh, hopefully, especially the last couple conversations we've had, um, you know, with Tika Tawari and uh, Don Bays and, and all that. Uh, this has been very useful to you and that you're starting to feel like you're building on something. But um, this week, um, I want you, I, I want to start getting into some more of the practical stuff, right? Um, again, if you haven't listened to the first few podcasts, I encourage you to do so. Um, but this week, week you're going to learn about how uh, this extraordinary technology of distributed ledger technology, in this case, blockchain, can be used um, and uh, to create efficiencies in areas that you might not even know exist and what a big deal that is. And one of those industries is gaming. Now, you may not be a gamer. I'm certainly not a gamer. I'm about as far away from being an online gamer as you can be. But I was surprised to learn that this gaming industry is much bigger than Hollywood. Right? I mean, this is a humongous industry and it's global. Anyway, as an investor, therefore, you should be paying attention to this space when it comes to cryptocurrency applications. I, I certainly am. Um, and today, uh, you're going to learn about my f personal favorite project in this arena. Uh, it's a project called Worldwide Asset Exchange, uh, a.k.a. WAX. Um, disclaimer here, I guess. I don't know, but uh, uh, is I am, I am invested just like anybody else, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I own I own a fair amount of wax token because I like the project. So um, I'll give you that disclaimer. Um, but when we come back, it's an opportunity to talk and listen to somebody who I think is very, very smart uh, by the name of Malcolm Cassell, who is president of Wax Token. Now, there isn't much more exciting than cryptocurrency, but there are old-fashioned ways of creating wealth outside of Wall Street that have been used by the wealthiest families in the world for generations. And that's what my other podcast is all about. It's called Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, if you've made a lot of money in crypto and don't know what to do next, this show might actually answer a lot of those questions, too. Again, it's Wealth Formula Podcast with me, Buck Joffrey. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Malcolm Cassell. Malcolm is uh, he's an entrepreneur, uh, and he's the CIO of Opskins, uh, which we'll get into, and the uh, president of Worldwide Asset Exchange, or WAX. Uh, prior to his current position, he served in numerous roles internationally as an entrepreneur. He's held multiple C-level positions in startups and highly successful companies in the technology space, and he's also been an 
active early stage investor in companies like Facebook, Zynga, and most recently, uh, Bitcoin-related companies, uh, which will be appropriate to what we're talking about today. Malcolm. Hi, thanks for having me, Doc. And so what I wanted to do a little bit is sort of back up and talk about Opskins and what that is and how you got involved and then kind of ease into that and then discussing some of the challenges with that business and go into kind of what you're, you guys are doing right now. So why don't, why don't you get started just telling us a little bit? I mean, you're a, you know, obviously a, a guy who's been in the tech space for a while. Uh, you know, you're an MIT Stanford guy. You've got tech written all over you. How'd you get into the ops? What is Opskins and how did you get into it? Sure. So Opskins is the largest marketplace in the world for people who want to buy and sell virtual items from video games. So for those of you who are not video game players, just to give some context, the video game industry is about $130 billion industry. So 13 times bigger than the film industry. Okay, wow. So it's, it's huge. I didn't realize And about that. 80% of the revenue generated in the video game industry is selling virtual items. So when people acquire those items, they have some value, some residual value. Sometimes that value increases over time, like any collectible would. And they want to buy and sell them. And we are the Amazon of that ecosystem. So when people want to buy and sell those items for cash, they come to us and they use Opskins. So that's what we do. Uh, my background really started in commerce and uh, you know, online businesses starting back in the first dot-com. I got involved in the video game ecosystem in 2011. Uh, and I worked on a project called Xfire, uh, which was a social platform for, for hardcore video gamers, similar to the audience we have today. These are the PC gamers. They mm-hmm. are the ones who spend you know, the, a lot on these rigs. They have like really expensive you know, monitors and chairs and headphones, kind of like the, the kind you have. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, they're not just your casual mobile gamer. These are the ones who are really, really passionate about it. And so I started working with some of the team members here. Uh, at that time, I also got involved in crypto. So I started investing in crypto businesses back in 2011, 2012, 2013. And so uh, I started uh, really seeing how this ecosystem was evolving. Right. And it was clear even years ago that a, a, a peer-to-peer decentralized platform was going to win over a centralized one. Before we is, get into that, though, Malcolm, we can I want to explain that. I want to back up a little bit because one of the things I think keys to understanding why this is such a big deal potentially for investors to look at as a space is understanding this world that I think is foreign to most of us forty-something professional guys, which is the idea that their virtual items have a real value to them. Give us some examples of that. And because, because I think a lot of people, and of course I, I know a little bit about it, but give us some examples uh, that show that people really believe that these things that they're buying on the internet have great value and that they're willing to pay a lot of money for them. Yeah. So, so earlier this year we sold a skin and, and just to clarify, a skin is a virtual item that has no function, it just changes the look. So we call them cosmetic. Uh, and so imagine, you know, if you had a, a, a Snapchat filter, right? And uh, maybe if your listeners are familiar and use a Snapchat filter, <laughs> yeah. it changes your face, right? right? Uh, and that's called a skin or changes the environment, right? Put sparkles right. in it or rainbows and so forth. So that's that's called a, a cosmetic item. It doesn't change your voice, doesn't, well, it could, but in most cases, it doesn't change your voice, doesn't change the content uh, other than the look. And so cosmetic items are what we specialize in. And we sold a cosmetic item for $61,000 recently. So all that does, in effect, is like, so, you know, it might be the way a, you know, a player character looks on the screen. So yeah, yeah. that's a and different so- reality than most of us live in. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, why it's you important. You have an avatar, right, uh, on, a, on in an environment, and you want the avatar to look a certain way. Well, then, of course, you know, you you would buy a, a skin, right, for right. that avatar. 
Right. So, and, and, I, and the reason I emphasize that so much is to get your arms around this, you have to understand, I think, that this generation, particularly that is growing up in this gaming world, the, the, the line between virtual and real is, you know, is not the same line that we think of, like a, a lot of us 40 something, you know, professionals, et cetera. Yeah, so let me let me just uh, speak to your point. The line between real and virtual, and why that's so important today. So think of it this way: today, the youth are spending the majority of their time looking at a screen, and and on that screen is their identity. It's their social profile. It's their avatar. It's the character they have in a game, and so for that character to be uh, elevated or diminished it's like the world to them, yep. okay? It's just like, you know, we talk about cyberbullying. And so if somebody posts something negative on your profile, kids will have, you know, really, really a tough time. It turns out if you sit, sit back and you really think about it, you say, well, actually it has nothing to do with them. It has to do with their identity inside of a virtual environment, which they call a Facebook page, Right. okay? So the reality is, is that, that most of us have already made that leap where we, we actually attach our identity to the thing we have online, our Facebook page online. So if somebody says something about it or, or comments on it, we take it personally. Okay? Right. So now if you're spending all of your time looking at a screen, you're spending a lot of your time in a virtual environment, whatever happens or occurs for that identity in that virtual environment feels very personal. Right. So this is the brain chemicals. This is oxytocin. This is exactly. serotonin. Right. So you feel excited when good things happen. You feel really happy when it's welcomed, when your identity is welcomed. You feel um, very maybe demoralized when you lose uh, a competition or people's, you know, are, are, are uh, saying things, oh, you know, he's not very good at, or he lost and so forth. So people take it very personally. So these identities are very important to them. And so they will spend whatever resources they have at their disposal to elevate those identities, to feel better. Just like if you live on the Upper East Side in Manhattan and you carry a $40,000 Birkin bag or a $40,000 diamond ring, neither of which have real value at that level. They don't do anything. A bag just, right. you know, you could use a shopping bag or the ring, you don't even need the ring. It doesn't do anything. Yet you'll spend massive amounts of money for those things because it affects your identity, affects how you feel, affects your relationships, your peer group, et cetera. That's exactly what's happening in a virtual environment. And that transition has already started to occur for the vast majority of us who have even a Facebook profile, let alone play video. So these skins that you're talking about, um, virtual items, or I think you can also put in some of these things. I think people know a little bit about crypto kitties. They've heard of things like that. They are unique items, right? They're not, they're not, there's something about them make you just can't like photocopy them and, you know, and, and, and scan them back in. They're truly unique items and that's what gives them a certain value. And what, what I, how do you make sure those things are unique? How do these people do that? So traditionally the uniqueness of an item uh, comes from, let's say the collective belief by a group. So let's say you and I are collecting baseball cards and you come across a Babe Ruth that's like vintage or mint condition, right? Yeah. We believe because we've been trading baseball cards, we know about baseball cards for a long time, that item is very rare and hence the value is high, okay? Right. In the virtual environment, the uniqueness has traditionally been determined by the game company. The game company says, okay, we have this many items and we're issuing only so many of this particular item and we deem that this particular item is highly sought after. Now, just because something's rare doesn't mean that it's valuable. It also has to be desirable, right? Right. So right. you need rarity and you need desirability. When those two things come together, that's when you get something collectible and worth a whole lot, right? Right. So, so, so this is the same thing as if it was like Star Wars collectibles that we were exactly. you know, holding on to right. from the 80s, right? Yeah. Same thing in terms of rarity and desirability. There may only be like a couple of Chewbacca's, but if nobody wants it, or Jaja Banks, nobody wants it, so nobody's right, gonna, exactly. nobody cares. So, so, <clears throat> so now we have this. Now that I think that's an important place to to, to continue this conversation where Opskins fits in, because now we know that okay, well, listen, virtual items to people in this world 
are have the same value as you know me buying a you know a, a, a car that I covet you know something like that. So where do you buy them from each other? And that's where Opskins comes in, and effectively it's a trading platform. And then inherently, well, when let's, there's let's let's make a distinction. Right. Trading and and a marketplace a marketplace are different. Mm-hmm. Right. So trading is hey, I'm gonna swap. We're gonna swap something back and forth, and that could be cashless. Right. I could give gift something to you. So we offer trading, and and it is a free offering. But then we also have a marketplace where you can sell it for cash, right. and that's a very different thing. When you can sell it for U.S. dollars or euros, you can cash out. Uh, that's pretty exciting, right? You have something of value and I can exchange it for money that I can right. use for anything else. And you have a global marketplace where, yes. you know, you have somebody in, in Russia who is trying to sell something uh, to somebody in Korea. And and that's where uh, there's a pain point with the currencies, et cetera. How has that been uh, up to now, up to the point of, of, uh, of cryptocurrency? How has that been addressed? And if you could talk a little bit about the, you know, potential inefficiencies that have been in that you've that you guys have seen in that uh, area. Sure. So, so when two people are trading who don't know each other, which is the case ninety nine percent of the time, there's no trust, right? So you have this Mexican standoff. You have an item I want. I, I'm willing to pay for it. Who does what first? If I give it to you, you could run off with the money. If you give me the item, I could run off with the item and you don't get paid. So you need an intermediary. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that you know items could be stolen, items could be um, you know fake or something. Uh, I can talk about sort of fake. Fake is um, not a, a huge issue because the game company is determined, you know, how those things get um, authenticated. Uh, and we've moved that to the blockchain, but we act as the authenticator in the middle just to make sure we double right. check everything. So if you get an offer, you know it's a real offer. Um, and then the third thing is, is that, you know, that currency that's used is really important. So let's say we're trading an item that's 50 cents. You know, good luck taking an item that's 50 cents yeah. and transferring it from Korea to Russia. I mean, by the time you do all the currency conversion and back and forth, let's say it's priced in dollars. That means you got to convert from Korean dollars, Korean won to U.S. dollars back to ruble. And there's going to be nothing left. So that means that there's no way to transfer something worth 50 right. cents between these two boards. So that's why you need an intermediary. And that's where crypto plays a role. It means that I can come into the platform. I can trade back and forth instantaneously. I can trade back and forth without those currency conversion costs. And of course, it becomes possible to do items that are two cents or $2,000. Right. So so before before crypto, there is just sort of this uh, inefficient broker broker system, right? Um, can you talk about kind of how that was done? Because um, it sounds yeah, well, like some of that's that- how Opskins, yeah. yeah, that's how Opskins became so successful. We were the first ones to kind of solve that problem. We were using US dollars as a standard. Yeah. But we allowed people to upload money from their local currency, and then we allowed them to cash out in their local currency. But they would do that after they had conducted many, many transactions. So the fee would, say, be amortized across a lot of transactions, and it was reasonable, right? If you're trying right. to do it item by item, it's not even possible. Right. Um, but what we had done is we built a centralized system. So that means everyone had to come to Opskins to make it work. Now, inherently, that limits the growth of the business because – you know, people are, they hang out watching a particular streamer or they're hanging out watching a particular blog to force them to come to our site to either list their inventory for sale or to buy inventory is just not the way people are used to doing things. People like to be able to buy right where they're consuming things, right. in the way that they're doing it. So if you think about on Facebook, what happens? You can now, you know, do so many things within Facebook that you couldn't do before. You can message right from within Facebook, right? Right. Right. And before you'd go to a different program to do that. Right. Yep. But now people expect it to be embedded into it. So what wax is simply the ability to do commerce wherever can gamers are consuming their gaming content. Right. So let's and, just back up real quick. So wax is world. It's worldwide asset exchange. Yes. And it's it's a it's a cryptocurrency. Right. And and um, yeah, it's, it's more than that. I mean, right. It's, it's Why don't you, really you back blockchain. up? Right. Why don't yeah, you talk yeah. uh, sort of back up on that? Because I know there's there's actually multiple implementations of this. But so you yeah. guys decided instead of saying, well, hey, you know, why don't we just 
have a marketplace with, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, uh, you know, uh, and just use cryptocurrencies to actually create another token. Um, and, and tell me, tell me why you decided to do that. And I think it, you were alluding it to a little bit, people having their own stores and that sort of thing, but talk about the evolution of, of, you know, where wax token comes in and, um, you know, in, in, in the context of other cryptocurrencies and the larger vision of what you are thinking about in terms of this project? Sure. Well, I think first we all have to admit that Bitcoin has failed as a payment method. And so is Ethereum. Uh, we understand they're too expensive, they're slow, uh, and the fees are variable. So several weeks ago, uh, the fees for transacting in Ethereum went from 50 cents to $50 and nobody noticed we did, yeah, right? Because yeah. if you're running a real business, you'd be screaming if suddenly your toll went from 50 cents to $50 driving to work, right? Right? People would get out of their cars and riot. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Yet nobody did that several weeks ago. Why is that? Because nobody's using Ethereum for anything truly commercial. Right. Nobody cares because these are still experiments in a kitchen somewhere. Sure. Okay? So my point is simply that is running a real business, it was clear to us if we don't have our own blockchain, Right, to enable these kinds of transactions that we can control and keep those costs low and make the transactions really fast, there was no hope of creating a truly enterprise-based business. And what, we, what we've been doing is essentially building a peer-to-peer -peer trading mechanism. So in other words, rather than having to come to Opskins, Wax allows you, say you and I, to trade between the two of us with just this piece of software running in the middle. So think, when I say decentralized, it really means that people can trade between each other rather than having to go to a centralized authority. And that's the magic of it. Now, it's a token as well because the token is how you actually uh, pay to do the transactions on that chain. Um, and that's, I think people probably understand that if they have any familiarity with, with, with blockchain, um, that a token is often used to power the, the platform itself. Um, and so our chain is in alpha. We're already running. We've launched a, a distributed application called a DAP and a collectible. And that collectible is uh, called Vigo, VGO. And that, that DAP has become the most transacted DAP in the world virtually overnight. It's way bigger than all the other so, so collectibles. Back up and tell us about that, because that, that's probably going to be, I mean, I, I, I think that's an incredibly impressive thing and something that's really important for people to understand. First of all, what it, tell us a little bit more about Vigo, what it is sure. and what people are doing and how it, you sure. know, how it's making money. Yeah. Yeah. So, so think about collectibles, like we were talking about, like CryptoKitties, for those who, who are not familiar, was, was really just a, a think of them like playing cards, and each one's unique. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of them, and it has a cat on it, and a cat with particular characteristics. Maybe it has a mustache, maybe it runs fast, maybe it's tall, maybe it's short, etc. Uh, and people started to collect these items. Now, it was mostly speculators. It wasn't a pre-existing ecosystem of people who cared about crypto kids. Um, when we launched uh, in a partnership with this, with this collectible called Vigo, it was targeted specifically to a market of people who really like CSGO. CSGO is a very popular game called Counter-Strike Global Offensive. It's got a global audience. It's been one of our biggest uh, tradable, traded items on Opskins for a long time. And so what they decided to do in, in support of what I think is also our vision was this idea of an item-centric world. When we say item-centric, most game publishers think, you know, or app developers think everything revolves around the app. And an item-centric view is everything revolves around the user and the ownership of their item. So if you acquire an item, we believe you should own it. It would be like, let's say you bought a car, right? <clears throat> you right. bought a BMW, <clears throat> and BMW said, sorry, you can't sell that car to anyone else. Or you can only drive it on Tuesdays. You can't drive it on Wednesdays. I mean, you, it would be absurd, yeah. right? Yeah, right. So uh, that's why, you know, the game developers are, are sort of disconnected from the way consumers typically think of things. They've been placing restrictions upon users' ability to do things with the virtual items that they pay for or they earn in the games. And so we believe in a world where, that, where there are no restrictions. And that's part of the reason we designed Wax, to enable customers to have the power 
to trade and do things with them as they wish. And that's why peer-to-peer -peer is so important. When we take ourselves out of the picture as the centralized trader, that means that others can trade and no one can inter interfere. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the the other side of this, which is, uh, you, and, you and I were talking the other day and you mentioned something I thought was interesting and I think maybe um, this audience would resonate with it. We have, we've, we've, we've drawn this line between you know, this, this world that we're used to, which is the real world. And then we have this virtual world, but there's also an intersection and, and, and where, you know, a pizza an online pizza could represent a real pizza. And mm -hmm. so having that ability to exchange those types of things online in a peer to peer fashion too, could you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that's pretty interesting from a, it, it sounds like it's sort of maybe phase two in terms of what you guys are doing, but what, which is a really interesting and exciting kind of way to look at the world as, as yeah. technology continues. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is really interesting because right now when you buy something, you sort of have to consume it when you buy it. Right. Right. Like if I buy a pizza, I got to get the pizza right now. And what if I could buy a pizza, but consume it later whenever I wanted, or I could give it to you and you could consume it whenever you wanted. Right. Like a gift certificate. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's yeah. instantaneously fungible and I, you know, a gift certificate's a pain in the butt, right? Right. You right. A gift certificate around, right. Or even a gift card. Yeah. But imagine that I could buy a pizza, right. And I could send it to you instantly say, Hey Buck, thanks for what you did. Or I really appreciate that. Or we could trade it. I could trade you the pizza for a bouquet of flowers. Yep. Right. And then you can consume that pizza when you want, how you want, or you could give it to your son, right? And your son can go consume it or you can give it to your neighbor, right? right? So that would totally change the dynamics of how we think about consumption. In other words, we'd be able to trade the value of something and consume it later. And we would, we would actually uncouple the idea of having to consume it now and owning it. Now, this is, to some, maybe an abstract concept that seems very, very weird. However, think about what human behavior is like. Think about how we love to collect things. Think about how we love to own things. Think about how we love to trade things. Yeah. Look in your garage. How many things do you have in there? Mm -hmm. Got a lot of stuff probably, right? right? I know I do. Right. So so if, if I said, you know what, I'd like to have 10 pizzas just, just here, just in case, <laughs> you know, just in case, you never know. Or, you know, I want to have, I want to have like 14, you know, uh, battery packs that I can consume later. And I can use those anytime I want. They're there. Uh, or I can trade them. This is going to unlock, I think, a completely new industry. And, and our, our goal is to be the masters of trading, you know, virtual items that are actually real. Yeah. And that would be sort of a, real a, a gifting industry is kind of what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about, because I know at least in gifting, I mean, there's, I think there's Gifto, uh, there's, who are the competitors, if there are any competitors to Wax? So largely what I've seen is, uh, so far is, is uh, synergistic relationships with other distributed ledger projects, but I haven't, I don't know that I've seen anybody who really is doing anything kind of like you. Is there... Uh, is there competition, direct competition? Well, so there are, there are lots of sites creating virtual items. So that's the first thing. So we created Vigo in partnership with a, with a group that, that, that came up with it. And we pushed it, you know, through the WAX ecosystem to demonstrate the power of the WAX ecosystem. And as I mentioned before, it's become the most successful collectible in the world. It's generating hundreds of millions of dollars annually, and it's basically brand new, and it's resting upon this idea of skins, okay? And it's a fantastic business. But we're not in the item creation business, we're in the marketplace business. And so everyone who's creating an item, we want to be the place where that buying and selling occurs. Okay? Right. Uh, so that's, so if we view anyone who's tokenizing other assets as compatible with this ecosystem. Now all the guys who are creating assets may be competing with each other, but for us, it's not about who wins. We just want to be the place where whoever is winning gets to transact. 
In terms of other people building marketplaces, we see some people talking about building marketplaces, but we haven't seen any that have, you know, already the user base, have the scale, and have the depth of understanding about how this ecosystem works. Um, but there are some folks who are trying to do it in collectibles, crypto collectibles. Um, but I, I, I think that crypto collectibles are, are, are very much a, a challenged category because most of them rest upon Ethereum. And as we mentioned earlier, Ethereum is, I think, a failed proposition when it comes to running a commercial business on it. Right. There was uh, this, this happened when, when CryptoKitties, um, there was like the big problem with the Ethereum network getting completely clogged up and all mm -hmm. that. It's just not terribly efficient with that regard. Um, one of the things I think that I'm, I think is really neat about this whole project and why I'm, you know, I'm a big holder of wax token myself because I really, you know, in many ways it just, it makes so much sense to me, um, is that, that you are also the biggest, you know, ops, this goes back to Opskins. I mean, you are already sort of the market maker already. And what you're doing is you're creating, uh, you're creating a currency, um, and making it just easier to transact. The customers are already there. So it's not a mm -hmm. theoretical project. I mean, do you feel like to me, that seems like one of the biggest advantages that you have? Yeah, I think having millions and millions of customers is a huge advantage. Uh, I will, I won't discount that at all. <laughs> yeah, right. But you know, but also having a brand, yeah. right? We have like a ninety-eight percent trust pilot score, so that means it's like a very, very trusted and valued brand. Uh, all those things are great and fantastic. But I think the one thing that is the most important out of all of those things is our understanding of how the customers work. Right. Um, I don't know any other group that could launch a collectible uh, and go to hundreds of millions of dollars overnight. It's just, I've never seen anyone do that. And that's one thing that our group is really good at because we understand how to work with third parties. We have you know, hundreds and hundreds of third parties coordinated in making that effort uh, a success. And they're all continuing to grow because we are really a B2B play. We understand how to empower other marketplaces or other sellers or other buyers. So if you go on YouTube and you'll see thousands and thousands of videos about the things that we do because we work with influencers very effectively. Um, the items are designed in a way that the collectors really understand. There's appraisers involved. There's other games that are using those items in their games now. So when you think about coordinating all of these pieces to make it successful, it's something that's, I think, a rare combination. And it comes more from, you know, one of the folks on our team invented item trade, huh. okay, in 1997 and built the first successful company, became a multi-billion dollar company. And so our experience in this goes back to like literally the core roots of it. Uh, and, and I think that that's really one of our strategic advantages. Um, what do you think in, in terms of, of timeline? Um, you know, right now, I know you mentioned, as you mentioned, you're, you know, you're, uh, I think you mentioned you're almost there. I mean, we've almost got, there's, there's the token right now, but that's, uh, you're going to uh, launch the, the new blockchain um, people who own the current wax token are going to get an equivalent amount of that. And then how do you see this like evolve in your eyes? Like where, how does this sort of catch? It's already caught on, but really start penetrating through that, you know, however big uh, a market you said that, how big is this market? You said it was like. So item trading yeah. is a $50 billion yeah. market. This is the secondary market for trading. Right. 50 so 50 billion. So 50 billion uh, dollar market trading. The goal here is presumably to make this really the central uh, currency, the central yeah. you know ledger for all of that. What yeah. is it? Yeah. How far along are you in that journey? And and you know how do you see this all rolling up? So <clears throat> I think the way to think about what we're doing is our blockchain is designed to create an open platform. So if you can think back to AOL, remember America Online? Mm -hmm. And it was a battle of America Online versus the internet. Okay, if you go back even further, it was a battle between proprietary interactive television networks, right, that Microsoft was trying to support and the internet. Right. And, and both gave up. Microsoft gave up and said, you know what? 
forget these two-way cable networks, too expensive, it'll take forever to roll out. We're just gonna embrace the internet. What did AOL do? They embraced the internet ultimately. So we believe that open wins over closed. The momentum is just over time, just too strong and it compounds, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So what we're really building is an open platform for items and virtual items. And if you believe virtual items are huge and getting bigger, you say, whoever builds that open platform for virtual items is gonna be a huge winner. It's a very, very simple proposition. If you're an investor, and I know you don't want to, you know, you don't want to talk too much about this, but um, some people are probably thinking, well, how does wax? What would make wax go up in price? If you had a token, is that token supposed to say constant? Is it supposed to go up? What what forces create price changes in that token? So I, I can't talk about our own token, and I can't talk about price of our token, but I can talk about token economics in general. Right. So <clears throat> I think one of the powerful drivers is you want to have increased demand. So you want, you want an ecosystem that's continually driving greater demand for a token. And then you also want a mechanism that, complete, that continually reduces supply. Right. So you want right. increased demand and decreased supply. And you want both of those things happening simultaneously. Now, some token economics I've seen support just one idea. Right, either increased decreased supply or mm -hmm. you know increased demand. I believe the ideal ones do both. Right. So we've designed our ecosystem to address both of those. We talk about it in the white paper. I don't need to get into detail about sure. that. But basically, the more the platform gets used, right? Basically, the less tokens are available, and the more it gets used, those tokens get taken out of circulation by the folks benefiting from the ecosystem. Uh, and so for us, we know how to drive demand. We've grown a platform from zero to a multi-billion dollar revenue stream. Uh, and so we know how to build demand and we've designed the token economics to continually constrain the supply. Uh, and that's basically how we've designed the business. Got it. So um, if people want to learn more about I don't know, just everything here. I think, is it wax.io? Uh, is that the Yeah, website? yeah. If you go to wax.io, you can link to our blog there. Um, we have new postings every week about what we're up to, partnerships, and how the business is evolving. We've launched Wax Express Trade, which has been really successful. Uh, we've worked with this collectible I mentioned called Vigo, which has been really successful. We have lots of other things. We even talked about trading uh, in real life items, IRL items like uh, sneakers and, and oh, things wow. like that, which yeah. are coming. Uh, so in other words, the, the way it would work is I would buy a token. That token would represent a particular pair of sneakers sitting in a manufacturer. I could then trade that token, sell that token, or consume that token, right? So let's say I traded it with you and you decide to consume that token. You then use it, and that entitles you to a pair of sneakers from that manufacturer, and it gets sent to you directly. Right. So this trading of IRL, of in-real-life items, is coming. Uh, and our blockchain, as, as I mentioned, is in the alpha. And so it's running all the transactions for Vigo. As I mentioned, me, it's now the largest tradable item in the world by, by an order of magnitude. So it's really starting to show the pieces, you know, starting to come into focus. You can start to see the success of collectibles. You can see the success of like the chain, even in its early phase. Uh, so Q4 is really when you'll start to see all these pieces come together. Wax Express Trade, the trading platform. You'll see more games that will, will be announced that are on the platform. You'll see more collectibles. All those things will come together. So I think towards the end of the year, we'll really start, the, the picture will become clear for a lot of people who, you know, we have fans who've been with us from, from day one who are observing and watching carefully. But then there's a lot of newcomers who are taking a look. And I think they'll see the whole picture as we get towards the end of the year. Uh, this has been absolutely fascinating. Malcolm, thanks uh, thanks a ton for being on the show. This has been really great. Yeah, thanks for having me, Buck. It's been a real pleasure. We'll be right back. Want to buy Bitcoin with your IRA? Don't waste your time on expensive IRA custodians. A strategy called a QRP is as easy as writing a check. Find out how. Text 44222 and type QRP book. That's one word and get a free book that explains everything. Again, that's 44222-QRP-BOOK, one word. It's the easiest way to make Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies part of your retirement. 
Welcome back, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed that show. Uh, obviously, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, whether you're interested specifically in that area or not, um, you gotta be. Uh, you gotta understand why I think this is a big deal. Uh, anyway, uh, it is time now uh, for our audience Q and A. And I would like to remind you that the best way to do this is to go to consensusnetwork.io and record the uh, record your question. But um, if you don't want to do that, which it seems so far like not a lot of people were wanting to do that, you can either send an email to info at consensusnetwork.io or, uh, again, go to consensusnetwork.io and, um, you know, you can write your question there as well. So uh, let's start this week. And uh, the first question is from Andy. Uh, Andy from Chicago, where I moved from uh, about over a little bit over a year ago to Santa Barbara here. So Andy's got a good sort of practical, basic question. It's um, so I hear the word DAP a lot, and DAP is D-A-P-P. What is a DAP, and is everything in crypto just called a DAP because it's distributed? Uh, that's actually a good question. I think it's a fundamental question, and you know maybe we haven't been very clear on that. But they're really um, the way to think about what's going on uh, in cryptocurrencies right now is in and and blockchain and distributed ledgers is that there you can broadly separate these cryptocurrencies uh, as representing either um, a protocol or an application, and in in the case of what you're talking about, a DAP is a distributed application, so it's an application that is built on a distributed ledger. A protocol is, uh, protocol is different. Protocol is what you're going to build it on, right? So protocol is Ethereum. Uh, Bitcoin is a protocol, um, although it's largely for, you know, currency purposes. But you also have another one of my uh, <clears throat> more interesting uh, uh, projects is EOS, uh, sort of a next generation type platform. These are all protocols, right? And so you can think of those as, you know, the the groundwork, the framework, and then adapt is something that's going to be built on top of that framework. A good example of adapt and so these are the businesses that are built on top of that on that layer, on that protocol. So you have to have the layer, you have to have the infrastructure and then you have then you build businesses on top of it. And the businesses uh, or whatever they are meant for, it are the DApps, the distributed application. So um, probably the best known one, um, to, it, you may have heard of this even in the mainstream, uh, is, is uh, CryptoKitties. CryptoKitties is an application that is built on the, um, is built on the Ethereum uh, protocol, and it's, uh, it's an application. So, uh, Anyway, Ethereum is the protocol or the application that's being built on there is uh, is crypto is uh, CryptoKitties. Hopefully that answers your questions. It's it's um, but that distinction is an important one as we move forward, and we'll we'll come back to it over and over again. Uh, the next question <clears throat> is from Karen Osborne. Hey Buck, uh, my name is. Karen Osborne, I'm just starting cryptocurrency. I keep noticing a lot of platforms ask for a two-step authenticator. What exactly is it? Is it really necessary for me to have it? It, it? So Karen, that's a good question. It's not necessarily just related to cryptocurrencies, but I will say that it is a useful thing in cryptocurrencies because you know the thing that you don't want to have happen is you get hacked and lose all of your money, lose all of your assets. So so if you go to a lot of these exchanges, they'll um, they'll ask for you to set up your account like you usually do. Then they ask you for a password, and then they give you the option um, in most cases to set up two, uh, this two-step authentication. Um, the most common um, app, uh, app for that, by the way, is Google Authenticator. It's what what a, what basically it does is okay. You put your password in, then it says okay. Now put in this code. Um, that Google Authenticator is going to generate for you. So you, you basically go to Google Authenticator. Maybe it's on your phone. You go and look under Coinbase or whatever it is you're trying to find. And then every, I think it's every maybe 30 seconds or maybe it's 60 seconds, 
it comes up with a new code, then you have to add that in. And that is just a second layer uh, to make sure it's you. Um, I'm sure there's ways to hack past that as well, but it's certainly a very useful additional layer, uh, especially if you've got a bunch of money sitting on uh, various uh, platforms. Yeah, you don't want somebody to be able to just get in there simply by uh, getting a path your uh, your password, which is actually pretty probably pretty simple for most uh, sophisticated hackers to figure out. So, so that's it pretty much. Um, now the third question. And I thought this was really interesting. It says um, it's from Philip. Uh, hi, uh, Buck. I got uh, I got lucky enough to get into Bitcoin really early. Um, I thought it was a hobby, uh, but now I have about five million dollars in Bitcoin. Uh, last January, it was around twenty million, and I probably should have sold because I'm pretty cash poor. Otherwise, what do you think I should do? Wow, that's a great question. I wish I had your problem. Um, here's what I would. Here's what I would do, and again, I'm not going to give you financial advice. Uh, first of all, I think it depends on your situation. Obviously, if you have to, you know, if you have to sell a little bit to live, then you got to do it, right? But uh, you're going to have to pay capital gains taxes on all this stuff, and that's going to be a, a pretty significant hit. That's one. That's one thing to remember. The other thing to, is that we're in a, such a critical period of time right now. I mean, I literally looked at look at next month. You know, you have Bakht, B-A-K-K-T. We've talked about that ad nauseum on this um, program about how this could make a big deal. You've got the ETF from the Chicago Board of Options Exchange uh, that'll probably get, you know, it'll probably get through sometime in 2019. So the longer you can hold, the better. But, um, and, and, and so... What I would do personally is I would see, okay, we've got, I'd give it, say, three or four months because some of these major things are going to happen uh, in the next three or four months and then see how, what that does to Bitcoin. And maybe it only gets it to, you know, maybe it gets a 10,000. Maybe it doesn't get to 20,000. And at that point, what I would do is is seriously consider actually using one of these uh, uh, borrowing platforms Um so you can, I'm not going to give you any specific ones, but, um, but you, you, you can, you can, what you can do is you can basically collateralize. You can go and you can collateralize, um, some of your Bitcoin or other, um, um, uh, assets that you may have, and you can actually pull out fiat currency and, um, they're pretty high interest rates. That's true. Um, but the thing is that it's, you know, it's kind of better than selling uh, your Bitcoin. If you've got something that you can potentially, um, you think that you might be able to make some money on and buy it or whatever, uh, that would certainly be an option. That's what I would do personally. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily just sell stuff cause you're going to end up paying significant capital gains and then you may miss out on any additional upside that happens with Bitcoin in particular, in the next few years, which I think, in my opinion, again, is going to be substantial. Um, so that's one that's one approach. And the probably what I would do if I were you. Uh, the other option is to say, hey, you know, we'll wait a few months. And I still would wait at least two, three months to see what happens because we're set at such a critical juncture right now. And then say, hey, you know what? I could I if you're cash poor right now. And you're not making a lot of money and you're living it, you know, from paycheck to paycheck. You just take out a million bucks. Take out a million bucks, pay the capital gains. And um, I mean, if you're already kind of living cash poor, a million dollars invested properly in the right things can, I mean, can give you a significant amount of, of cash flow that you can live off of. And then just, you know, kind of let this stuff ride for a while. Otherwise, I mean, I, I again... I don't think at this point where we are in the market with all the things that are going that I, I would personally ever liquidate um, if I was sitting on $5 million of Bitcoin at this point. I think uh, I wouldn't do that personally, but others would disagree. So again, uh, your options are, uh, in my uh, you're not just your options, there's plenty of options, but the options I'm, I would consider are is, is potentially uh, collateralized loans, uh, maybe just enough to live on, uh, whatever. 
Um, that would be one one option. Uh, the other, uh, and then presumably, if you collateralize that, you'd invest it in something for cash flow, so you could pay pay that debt back. So you don't, you know, so you're not just you know draining uh, your reserves. But then the other option is maybe just taking a million bucks. And either way, I would wait a few months, three or four months, and then um, take a million dollars, liquidate it, you know, pay the tax, invest it in something very cash flowing and um, and go from there. I mean, so that those are the options that I would personally look to. I would not liquidate the whole thing right now. I think you're in a very, very good position. You could end up, you know, holding 50 million bucks. I mean, that's just crazy to me to think that you would, you know, right now, if you to sell it all, it would be a little scary to me. <laughs> I mean, now listen, on the other hand, you could live in 5 million, you could, you know, retire, whatever, but you have an opportunity for some pretty substantial um, stuff going on. Now, I will use this opportunity, by the way, Philip, to say that if you have that kind of money sitting around, you really ought to be sit or, or you know, potential money. You ought to be listening to my other podcast too, which is Wealth Formula Podcast. And I say that because not only because we talk a lot about investing in things that are tax efficient, et cetera, but we also talk about serious, you know, strategies to, you know, decrease the amount of tax you can potentially pay on something. So if you look at, um, if you go to wealthformula.com uh, and you go under investment opportunities, you can, uh, I would suggest you look at something called conservation easements that are really designed uh, to help you uh, push down your uh, your tax uh, as well. So anyway, do that. Check it out. Hopefully that uh, answers your question. Um, and I think that's probably about it for this week. And uh, again, that was a great question. Keep them coming, please. Uh, and I'd love to hear from you. Make sure you tell me who you are and, and your, not only your name, but it's also helpful to know where you're at. Because in Philip's case, I don't know, it's uh, Philip with two L's. I don't even know if you're in the U.S. If you're in the U.S., the situation would be different. If you're in Puerto Rico, you're in much better shape and so on and so forth. But anyway, that's it uh, for me on Consensus uh, Network this week. Uh, make sure you tune in next week. That's uh, um, So this is Buck Joffrey signing off.